It's time now for the Jack Riccardi Show, and here is Jack Riccardi. Here he is. Here he is indeed. Um, I, I was looking at a story, uh, Christian, about uh, some scientists have discovered that you can measure the stress level a person has by the cortisol, am I saying that right, cortisol, cortisol, uh-huh, yep. cortisol, concentrations in your hair. Hmm. In other words, uh, when uh, cortisol uh, levels uh, go up in the hair, which is a steroid in the made in your body, uh, when they find more of it in your hair, you're under more stress. Now, we used to say that when you were under stress, you would lose your hair, right? Or you'd tear your hair out, or your hair would fall out. So I don't know how this is going to work. I mean, if you're under so much stress that your hair is falling out, how they're going to measure the cortisol? Well, you kind of stole my thunder on this one because I, I was going to say, you know, when you don't have hair, I thought that yeah. was high stress, but maybe we have no idea what we're talking about. I, 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 I've always assumed, you know, I've always blamed my the fact that my hair is white and that I'm losing it on stress. Probably find out someday that wasn't it at all. Yeah, that's that's just Probably age. That's some all. excuse I make. That's right. <laughs> right. It's, Ricardo, you're not under that much stress. Come on. <laughs> right. All right. Well, good afternoon, 408 on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Welcome to a new week. Welcome to Monday afternoon. Um, we just learned a little while ago that um, the the Justice Department is going to say, please do not unseal the affidavits that were used to obtain the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. So that's the breaking news on that this afternoon. It would be too sensitive, says DOJ. So you know you you may not see what we said or showed the judge to get the search warrant. It also came out over the weekend that um, the president, former president, and some family members were watching the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago via closed-circuit cameras. So they weren't there, but they could tap into it. You'd think people as rich as the Trumps would have something better to watch on television than that, but they were watching that. And so some people think if... um the closed-circuit cameras stayed on, and if Trump world was watching, then there's no way the FBI planted any evidence. Come on. Come on, people. Come on. I mean, if you're the FBI, I'm sure there's a way to do that. I'm not saying they did. I'm saying I'm sure there's a way they could have, even if Trump was uh, was watching. They also uh, revealed over the weekend that Trump apparently removed a mattress tag in 1996. So he is... Now they've got him, right? You know, those tags do not rem- Yeah, apparently he did. So He says, by the way, that they took his passports, that uh, he, he thinks they, in the boxes where they don't disclose what was in the box, they just say, we took a box, we took a box, so many boxes. He says he had passports in there. More than one passport or just uh, maybe passports for him and his family or something like that? I don't know. You don't think of like... You you think of presidents and ex presidents, right? You just figure, oh, they just they just go anywhere, right? I, you know, it's hard to think of them as having to show a passport, but I guess in theory they would have to. So, I guess he won't be going anywhere anytime soon. It, there is so much insanity about this story, and at the same time, are, are you feeling like I am? I'm already I'm already getting tired of it. I mean, I'm already just sick to death of Mar-a-Lago, Merrick Garland. I, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's just, and and it's um, both sides have kind of retreated into their talking points. So let me let me deal with that for a minute. 
One talking point that emerged over the weekend was that um, Donald Trump deserves to be executed for uh, improperly holding classified documents. Uh, The former CIA director, Michael Hayden, had... um, tweeted, or I guess I guess historian Michael Beschloss tweeted, the Rosenbergs were convicted for giving U.S. nuclear secrets to Moscow and were executed in June of 1953. Remember, they were a married couple. They were spying for the Soviet Union. And Michael Hayden, the former CIA director, retweeted Beschloss, commenting, sounds about right. So we're now equating... Whatever Trump had at Mar-a-Lago, which may have been classified, may have been unclassified, may not have been out of the ordinary for a former president to have, we're now equating that with the spies that helped the Russians get the A-bomb. You see why I'm having a hard time taking this seriously, and I think a lot of people are. You know? I mean, where do you go with that? You're, you, you, you have this... Trump derangement syndrome, and it's a, it's a, um, basically it's a terminal illness. Whatever, when you catch it, you become more and more irrational, and eventually you're a respected historian and a former director of the CIA, and you're smirking on, uh, social media like a couple of preteens. Well, maybe Trump should be executed. <laughs> I, how do you get from, he had papers at Mar-a-Lago to you're the Rosenbergs. I, how do you get there? Here's a story from The Guardian. GOP governors rebuke party members outrageous rhetoric over Trump's search. And then it quotes uh, Larry Hogan, who's the Republican governor of Maryland and a never-Trumper. And he went on um, one of the Sunday shows and said it's outrageous that people in his party are comparing the FBI to Nazi Germany. It's very concerning to me. It's outrageous rhetoric. It's absurd and it's dangerous. I guess nobody told Larry Hogan about Beschloss and Hayden comparing Trump to the Rosenbergs. Um, I will say this. Um, both sides, all sides, all kinds of people make way too many Nazi comparisons. It's the most overused analogy or comparison ever. There's never been a more tired, overused comparison than you're Hitler you're like the Nazis you're worse than the uh, you know I wish I could just declare a moratorium on it but it's free speech and people are going to do it I guess my problem with Republicans that are worried about this or outraged about it I would just say to them are you more offended by um, the rhetoric over Trump's you know house being searched than you are by what the Democrats are doing in power. In other words, shouldn't your main concern, shouldn't your first concern be the assault on the liberties of everyday people? 87,000 new IRS agents, the weaponization of free speech, the, the lies being told about guns and the Second Amendment. I mean, if you if you call yourself a Republican and you believe, therefore, you're supposed to believe in limited government, yeah, okay, you don't like what Rick Scott or other people are saying about Mar-a-Lago, but that shouldn't be the thing that you're most upset about. I don't think you're very good at this Republican thing 
if that's your problem. And that's my thing with Liz Cheney. I mean, she's obsessed with Trump, but she doesn't seem to notice Biden. And the whole, um, this, this is a, you know, what's being said about the FBI is a threat to our democracy. No, no. The federal government is the most powerful entity in our lives. They're not the victims in this. I love the, I love the way everything, this is a very typical of our times maneuver, right? Like, remember when, um, when Merrick Garland came out? Was it Friday that he came out on? Thursday or Friday? that he came out with his statement that we had to wait an hour and a half for. And when he came out and he said virtually nothing, one of the few things he said was that he will not stand by as the uh, good men and women of the FBI are smeared or spoken ill of or whatever. So they're the victims now. The FBI are the victims, not Trump or his rights or 87,000 IRS agents coming after people that make 20000 a year. No, the, the FBI are the victims in this. I'm so tired of that. You know, I mean, who who's buying that? Do, you know, and, and, and this sort of, this is what you do now, right? When you're a politician and you're criticized, you turn yourself into a victim. Well, we're, the people are making threats, and uh, we will not stand for it. And, uh, you know, to pe- I, I hope people see through that, right? I think they do. And then... Um, I heard people saying over the last several days, well, you conservatives who were always talking about how pro-police you are, why aren't you defending the FBI? Like, there's some comparison between Peter Strzok and the San Antonio police officer that's riding around in my neighborhood in an Explorer. Am I nuts? Or I don't see any comparison between those two. I don't see any comparison between politically... uh, you know, motivated maniacs like Peter Strzok and his girlfriend, Lisa Page, and an SAPD officer that helps people at a fender bender or investigates a break-in or, you know, is, is, is you know, protecting a school. Am I supposed to see them as the same thing? So if I say I back the blue, that means I also have to back the Mar-a-Lago raid. Do you, do you see how nuts that is? And I guess it's a, it's a sign of the times we live in that people say this stuff and assume that everyone will agree with them because in the bubble they live in, everyone does agree with them. But I don't know, that sounds crazy to me. I think you can back the importance of having police and still say, I take a dim view of the police powers of the federal government. I don't want them doing this. I don't want them doing that. I'm not sure they should have the powers they have. That's not the same thing as saying I want to defund the police. 210-599-5555. And then there you get the story about Kyle Rittenhouse. Have you heard about this? Some little police department in a town near Austin. Um, some of the officers, um, one or two of them, I guess, met Kyle Rittenhouse, the, the guy that was... Uh, charged with killing people in the Kenosha rioting and was acquitted. They met him and they took their pictures with him. And they put a caption on Facebook like, you never know who you'll run into or look who we met today or something like that. And um, the police department is now basically... Uh, both defending them, but also saying they probably shouldn't have done it. What is the problem with this? 
Kyle Rittenhouse is, a, is an American citizen who was acquitted of a crime. If you want to tell me that police officers aren't supposed to post selfies, okay, fine, I don't know. But if you meet him and you take a picture with him, that's no different than taking a picture with any other famous person. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. In my world, in my view, maybe you think differently. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. So we've got a new JR poll, and we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of stuff, not just Mar-a-Lago, which we're all getting sick of, uh, but many other things. And um, we're also coming up on the uh, one-year anniversary of the attack in Kabul uh, that uh, led to 13 U.S. service members being killed at the Kabul airport. So we need to talk about that, too. That doesn't need to slide by with all these other distractions, and we're going to. Um, I uh, I learned a uh, new term today I'd never heard before. Have you heard this before? White adjacent? White adjacent. And it was, somebody was being criticized. It was a, a um, Hispanic conservative was being criticized for some opinion he had. And a woman said, well, you're white adjacent. So she couldn't call him white, but he's like next to the whites, friendly with the, lives next door to one. I don't, I don't know what that means. But uh, So I'm, I'm just white. If you're listening to the show, if you like the show and you're African-American or you're Hispanic, that means you're white adjacent. So feel free to use that in a sentence if you want. It's your, it's your um, woke phrase of the day. 210-599-5555. Yeah, so we were talking about uh, these uh, comparisons being made to you conservative uh, hypocrites. You always said you back the blue and you're pro-police and you support police, but now you're criticizing or attacking the FBI. I've never really even thought of the FBI like I think of the local police department. And in fact, they've never been thought of that way. The whole history of the FBI, when it was being built up in the 1920s, the, the political debate around it was that it was in competition with or contradiction with local police. And the idea back then, this will sound quaint to you now, was that we shouldn't have a national or federal law enforcement agency because it will be it will run roughshod over communities and local policing and the, the the differences from state to state and region to region and 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 all the things they predicted those who opposed J Edgar Hoover getting more funding and professionalizing the FBI all the things they predicted have now come true it'll be political it'll be wielded by uh you know party A against party B so this idea that you can't find fault with the Mar-a-Lago raid or anything the FBI does and still say, well, I support the, the, the police, I back the blue, that's, that's nonsense talk. I mean, it really does make no sense. In fact, most people who have issues with what the FBI is doing will also tell you the, the reason they're more comfortable, not completely blindly trusting but more comfortable with local is because it's closer to them they have more oversight over it they 
they elect people who oversee it. They can make their voices heard if they don't like a policy, if they don't like what the chief is doing or uh, some directive that's given. Like we had the debate some years ago about they were going to write tickets to people who gave uh, money to panhandlers. But see, you have con- you have some some entree on policymaking like that. You can make your voice heard. You can be heard. And the feeling is the FBI is 2,000 miles away, and they don't care what we think. I mean, we shouldn't even have to explain this, but that's that's what's being thrown at us now. Oh, well, I guess you don't back the blue. When I say back the blue, I'm not thinking of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, are you? I'm not thinking of Christopher Ray or Jim Comey. Like, like Jim Comey and the guy that walks the beat are the same thing. I don't I don't think so. Ted is on five fifty and one oh seven one KTSA. Ted, good afternoon. Hi Jack. Yeah, great lead in because my observation is that not at any time in my life in popular culture has the FBI been portrayed as being friendly with local law enforcement. In fact, every T V show it's the FBI that comes in and messes stuff up or or takes the investigation away, or or clears all of the local cops off the scene, and they're they're kind of uh, uh, held with some level of disdain. I don't uh, know I if think. that's true or if that's just a like a Hollywood cliche that yeah they come right. in and they they talk down to the local cops and I don't know if that really is always the case, but but I could see where it does happen sometimes, right? So, yeah, so to your point about uh, the FBI uh, ending up, basically we're back in J. Edgar Hoover time. Well, I, we always, I don't think we've ever left that. Uh, but that the government is not supposed to have its own police force. Well, guess what? Um, I ran across just a little snippet of, of that uh, since-removed job uh, requirement for the 87,000 right. uh, IRS. The agents. one that said you got to be comfortable yeah. using a gun and all that? Did you notice, though, some of the duties uh, that were enumerated there? And one of the things that I had not noticed until this morning when I saw a little clip of it on TV was um, dignitary escort. All right. So Mm. I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine which dignitaries would armed IRS (laughs) agents be escorting. Um and so, That's, so that is bananas. Oh, that is so bananas. Yeah, that doesn't make any it sense. It's in the open, Jack. What's yeah. happening? No, I, I'm not saying it's, you're bananas, Ted. I'm saying that no, that no, description no, no. is bananas. That, that makes no it sense. It is the executive branch and the legislative branch are creating their own police force because the Capitol Police can do the Capitol. The Secret Service does Secret Service stuff. They don't have their own police force, but now they will. Yeah. All right, Ted, thank you. Um, by the way, I, I, the other thing about this uh, back to blue nonsense is, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak for you, but if, I, if I'm wrong, you tell me I'm wrong. I don't think you're mad at Joe Smith or Mary Jones, the special agent who was sent down to Mar-a-Lago. I don't think you're mad at her or him. I don't think you have an issue with them. Whatever they did, they they executed their training and their orders. Uh, this isn't about them. This is about political creatures and political deployments. 
And it would be the same thing if you were protesting our involvement in a war. You wouldn't be saying, I hate Private Smith over there. You'd be saying, I hate the, the politician that sent Private Smith. That, that's, that's obvious here. That should be obvious here, right? And uh, so they're, they're grasping at straws. It, it, it is a sign, I guess, of, of desperation that all of a sudden the people that wanted to defund the police are insisting that you respect their use of a police force. And um, they will always um, figure out a way to make this into a we're the real victims here, right? So this happened after January 6th. The narrative was members of Congress were scared, and, and AOC said she felt like a war veteran. She was having PTSD, and... People lied and said they were in jeopardy when they weren't because, you know, it's only cool if you have, like, a cool story to tell. I almost got killed. But it's it's that's the thing now. And, and that's a cultural thing in our society, right? It's you, you can't tell a story. You can't be part of something unless you are the victim of it. So, no, the person whose home was searched doesn't have any grievance. But criticism of the people that gave the order to search it. That makes them victims. So just so you know how this works. Jack Riccardi, Late Afternoon Show. We learned the other day that um, the brother of one of the 13 service members killed in the uh, Kabul airport attack, which was just about a year ago, um, the older brother of one of those uh, Marines uh, took his own life at the memorial to his little brother. And uh, it just underscores that something the country has mostly forgotten about is very fresh and very real uh, in the lives of these families and in the the, the thoughts and, and minds and hearts of our uh, servicemen and women. So we're going to talk about that um, and w- what that has meant over the last year. Joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, the Editor-in-Chief of Foreign Desk News, uh, Lisa Daftari. Lisa, welcome back. Uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Um, and um, I, uh, before we get into a couple other things that I do want to get into, um, there's very little uh, in the media, right, about this uh, year since we botched the the pullout of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And and I I think they would say, well, look at all the things we have to cover and all this breaking news and. But in the in the way things work globally, you know, the, in the sort of uh, slow moving, slow turning of wheels and gears and stuff, I think history is going to say that the withdrawal from Afghanistan was probably much more significant and, and and meaningful than like the political scandal of the day, right? Absolutely, and I think in the one year, we have seen m- much more of an extreme. Uh, move towards radicalism by the Taliban. Um, and, and that's not a coincidence, obviously. They know that they can and that there is the opportunity to do so under the Biden White House um, that gave him gave them this, this uh, space and freedom uh, to act as they will. So, for example, women cannot go to school and they kind of tried to um, allow women to go to school and then when the women showed up on the first day of school, they said, no, 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 go back home. We, kind of, we changed our minds again. Um, and, you know, the same thing with women dressing, for, you know, from covering themselves from head to toe, newscasters having to do the same, um, and women not being able to leave their homes without a male chaperone, and the list goes on and on. 
And yet, there are still reports about the funding that we're giving, the aid that we are still providing the Taliban. Over a billion dollars has been given to the Taliban to date um, in this one year. So when you think about it, so why isn't there any leverage that's used to say, well, we made a mistake, we withdrew um, in a very, you know, uh, uh, I guess unplanned um, and um, irresponsible way that caused U.S. casualties and, of course, put the Afghan people's lives at risk, particularly the ones that were friendly to the United States and, and, and our assets on the ground. Um, so why don't we now say we're going to give you this money, but with it we want you to put the women back in school, we want you well, to yeah. tone, tone down the Sharia law, all of that. Well, if <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I mean, we're... We're in a we're in a society where we cancel people if they won't agree that men can be pregnant, but we're okay Correct. with giving tens of billions of dollars and shaking hands with regimes that throw gay people off the roofs of buildings and make make girls oh, and women wear right. face cover. I mean, good grief! How does this look to them? We must we must look like absolute clowns. I, you know, I, I'm actually a bit distracted now. Right now, before I got on air with you, news broke in Los Angeles that the Gascon, as you know, we have a horrific, horrific um, district attorney here in Los Angeles, um, George Gascon, who um, there is a huge recall movement. There have been thousands upon thousands of signatures collected. There is such a huge movement here, and people on the left and center and right are supporting this recall. And the crime in Los Angeles is so horrific, yeah. you cannot even see it outside at lunch and you get mugged for your whatever. It's all over the news. And they just overturned the recall. I mean, I, I, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up as an example is because there's no way out of this. They have created just this, you know, they've, they've made people blind. They've allowed a system of cheating. They've They've taken over the media, and this is not a conspiracy theory. These are actual facts. And these are things, and this is why I bring this up, Jack, is to say Afghanistan doesn't affect people on a day-to-day basis. Of course, it affects those families who lost loved ones. Of course, it affects the family of the the, uh, Marine that you just mentioned whose brother took his life. I mean, these are the the people who it affects. It does not affect people on a day-to-day basis, but... We're in a place in this country where even the things that affect us on a day-to-day basis, people are not looking to change, whether yeah. it's c- crime or the or inflation or national security or the border or fentanyl or COVID or whatever it may be. So we can't even have these high expectations, as you say, of of how you know um, these more uh, macro foreign policy issues <laughs> are handled by the media. It's, it's just an irresponsible media that trickles down from a White House that is obviously um, much less than transparent. So, and, and I, w- I was going to get to this, but I'm glad you brought it up now. So what I, what I have heard, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that the, the recall people turned in far more than the required number of yeah. signatures. Like if they needed 500,000, they gave 700,000 or something. But then what they do is they do a random spot check of every so many signatures and with that initial sampling they say oh we've determined that x number of them are invalid and now you're short of the 500,000 or whatever it is and and i don't know how are people supposed to trust that i mean you're you're trying exactly. to you're trying to recall part of the establishment and the rest of the establishment said oh you didn't you didn't follow our rules 
I mean, when you um, when 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 you travel throughout Los Angeles County and you talk to people of all walks of life, it's affecting people. So if you're a shop owner, if you are, you know, if your house is, you know, if you live in a multi-million dollar mansion and your house was robbed, or if you are, you know, a working class person who was robbed for, you know, your your handbag, your watch, or whatever it may be. So my point being on all 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 walks of life, the entire economic spectrum, people are fed up with the crime. People are fed up with all the policies that have led to, uh, to us being here. And yet they want to tell us that they did a check and the signatures didn't, yeah. didn't match but, up. But you know what? It, the way, what I take from that is, okay, you, fine, you guys, you played your little game with the signatures. He still has to face the voters eventually. It's going to, you know, before he does that, it's going to be a, a long time. And I think people, the reason why recalls come up is because people don't want to wait for an election to right. come up. Right. Uh, we had a recall for the governor, and, and, and now he thinks he can be president. So, um, you know, it just, uh, I guess we, we are a very extreme example of what's going on in America. And um, it's, But you're right uh, to say that when people get scared... It doesn't matter if they're on the left or the right, because look, look, Ilhan Omar barely survived her primary, and now the other progressive Democrats in Minneapolis are mad at her. And it, it goes to show that, yeah, when people get scared, they forget their wokeness because they don't like that feeling. That, that, that no, feels but, the same in the pit of every stomach. But you know, Jack, what's scary is that people can feel this way, and people can vote this way, but we don't know if if what's if we're, what we're being told is right. is actually true, or if right. there's cheating or fraud going on, or what's going on, but yeah. um, you know it's upsetting. It's upsetting that this country's come to this place. Um, I've uh, you know I did a story this morning on you know um, uh, military recruits being down four thousand, meaning they're four thousand short of their incoming class of military recruits, and how woke culture is leading to a decline in in, in interest. And you know when you think about it, I was talking to a colleague about this. I mean. Young children or young adults are not growing up to want to be cops or want to be mm-hmm. or want to serve their country because of mm-hmm. this culture, and it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting. I'm, I'm a first generation American, and and I and I I hate to see that. Not only is, um, you know that not is not only is this system or rule of law being really jeopardized and really thrown into a place where it will perhaps be modified or cheated or whatever it may be, but that, that the sentiment across you know the country may not be what it used to be about loving our country or wanting to serve our country. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's really a shame. It's really a shame that we've come to this place. And we're talking with Lisa Daftari, the editor-in-chief at foreigndesknews.com. We were just uh, reacting to the news that the recall of the DA in Los Angeles has been called off because of a very uh, iffy, very questionable judgment about the signatures on the recall petition. I, I was uh, saying last week, Lisa, when um, the news came of the attack on Salman Rushdie, I remember being a young student back when Satanic Verses came out and they, the, the Iranian uh, uh, ayatollahs issued the fatwa against him. And, and mm-hmm. thinking at the time... Boy, there, there you see the difference between Western civilization and their civilization. That mm-hmm. in our in our civilization we celebrate controversial expression, we celebrate differences of opinion. You are free to write, uh, you are free to even mock or ridicule 
uh, anything, nothing, you know, nothing is beyond the reach of a comedian or an author or an artist. And then I was thinking with this attack on Salman Rushdie, we have now become that kind of intolerant um, culture that that we used to look down at them for being. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few takeaways here. Firstly, uh, it, that's a great one in terms of cancel culture, although um, we, we obviously don't resort to the violence. In some cases, there's violence. We're getting pretty close, though. Yeah, <laughs> we are getting pretty close. But culturally, yes, to shut out the voice that we don't want to hear, which is forbidden, instead of really, um, if you read Satanic Verses, um, it, it almost flirts with the idea of what if we were to turn this on its head um, or turn the Bible on its head, turn the Quran on its head and say it's this way rather than what we've been told. Uh, and he comes from that culture. So it's not like, you know, someone who is foreign and trying to come in and, and make sense of it. He actually is questioning a culture he grew up in and grew up with. Right. Now, um, what, what I took away from the Satanic Verses attack was, here you have a guy, 24 years old, the, the, uh, the perpetrator, um, 24 years old. He was not alive when this fatwa was issued. Um, so in that, and, and someone who was born and raised in New Jersey, imagine the level of indoctrination he yeah. must have had to have taken this, 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 this uh, challenge upon himself, uh, obligation to, uh, upon himself, and to be in touch with the Revolutionary Guard in Iran, which is the most violent paramilitary arm of the Iranian regime. And then secondly, the, the flip side of that is to say these, the Iranian regime makes threats. They've made threats against Mike Pompeo and John Bolton and Donald Trump and, of course, many, many journalists and, 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 and others. But here they are actually acting upon that and having contact with people on U.S. soil to carry out their dirty work on U.S. soil. Um, so, so that's really the, the, the crazy part about all this is how this mm -hmm. happened. And thirdly, mm -hmm. I will say I have a colleague who grew up in the area of western uh, New York State where this attack took place, and he said he grew up going to events and concerts and such at this location, at this venue, and in recent years it has taken a very left turn in terms of, you know, not having guns on the premises or not being, you know, as safe or, or having kind of that, that, that security apparatus. And to have a speaker like Salman Rushdie there and to not have that security and, you know, as we know, the, 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 the story is, there, there were some middle-aged men who ran on stage and, and helped out. One of them was 70-some years old that ended up, you know, um, making sure that the assailant were off of him and, and, and getting him some medical um, attention. But the point being, you know, um, look at where we've come, where someone like Salman Rushdie, who, who needs that kind of, of protection, obviously didn't have it, um, as the story goes. Um, because of, again, more of this, this woke culture. Right. Well, and then look at J.K. Rowling came out, uh, you know, his fellow author came out, herself often the target of, of, mm -hmm. of uh, intolerant people. She uh, issued a statement of support for him, and, and she was sick about what happened, and people tweeted at her, you are next. So we, we, we can't look down at societies no. that, that issue fatwas against people they disagree with. We're we're very close to that. We're very close to that. And then to go back to the idea about, you know, people not wanting to become policemen or, or serve in the military, people will not want to question. Look, we, many of us, you and I included, we're, we're out there, right? And we know that whatever we say can cancel us, that we are, that that's, that's our vulnerability, right? So our mouth, our thoughts, our ideas, that's our vulnerability. 
And, you know, there, there will yeah. be the, the next generation that is very fearful of questioning and making comments, not being bigots. I mean, you know, what Salman Rushdie did was use expression as a way of questioning society and questioning what we're, what we're told. And it was, it was, you know, used against him and finally caught up with him when he was attacked. But to live his whole life in fear because he raised the question. Now, in our, the society that we've created, young people don't ask questions anymore. They are completely politically correct and their minds mm-hmm. just stop thinking that way and they stop questioning because for fear of ruffling feathers or for fear of being perceived as a bigot or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that's very well said and uh, it all it all does kind of tie together. You can track stories like this at foreigndesknews.com and it should be a daily read, foreigndesknews.com. Lisa Daftari. Lisa, thank you for the time today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Phone lines open at uh, 210-599-5555. We had a lot going on there in the first hour. I want to get to your calls on all of these things, the comparisons that people are making uh, between the FBI and supporting your local police. Both sides are calling the other side uh, Nazis. Um, I, I, I thought this was kind of... Um, here, here's an example of how, of how just bananas uh, this is. So, Michael Beschloss is a historian who we've had on the show before, and, 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 and he's a good historian. I mean, he's written some good books about different aspects of American history. So, he, he's no dummy, but he was on MSNBC, and he was, um, he was describing what is leading up to these midterms and the 2024 election as if we are living in, um, you know, a sort of, pre-Nazi Germany, Imperial Japan, Mussolini's Italy, period. Take a listen to this, cut number five. So if we were living in 1940, you and I would have said there's a serious danger that America will not be a democracy because A, there are people from within who want to make this an authoritarian system, and B, the Nazi Germans, the Italians, the Imperial Japanese, were living in a world where fascism is on the march. So what we all said to the president was this 2022 is a moment like that. And therefore, these midterm elections and the presidential election of 2024, you know, it's always said this is the most important election in our history. Well, it's pretty close to it. And I would say to our friends who are watching us today, vote as if your life depends on it because of life. So how are you supposed to make sense when both sides are claiming the other side is leading us into Nazism, right? Like, so he's saying, by the way, he and some other historians met with Biden, and he was recapping the advice they gave him. The advice he gave them was, you're the the bulwark of democracy. If if you don't stand up to these Trump crazies, we're going to go down that road. But the other side also believes that the federal government is acting as if it has no checks and balances, as if uh, whatever party is in charge is the only party. Um, it's weaponizing law enforcement against political opponents. Look, we, we all support rule of law and law and order, but we don't support, you know, sort of regime-based policing. So what you have right now is... You're hearing both sides go to the same analogy 
and claim it about the other side. That's how crazy this is. And how, how senseless this is. By the way, I'm not saying they're both wrong. But that's quite a lot to unpack for people that only casually follow this stuff. Like, well, wait a minute. I can't keep up. Who, who, who are the Nazis again? You know. 210-599-5555. And then, like we were talking about with Lisa Daftari, the one-year anniversary of the Afghanistan withdrawal, it's easy to forget now with so much has happened. It's easy to forget what was being said at the time. Remember how they were presenting it and spinning it as if everything that was happening was intended and intentional. You know that the history of this is going to be that it was botched, that it was a failure, that it was a humiliation, uh, that lies were told, that our government... Our, the government that, that governs in our name told the Afghanistan government to lie, to make it sound like things were better than they were. We lied to our own people about how many of our own people were still left behind and are still left behind. And 13 died in one of the deadliest days in modern history for American America's military in an attack outside the Kabul airport. And I just want to say their names because I don't think you've heard the names very much since a year ago. But it was Marine Corps Lieutenant, uh, excuse me, Marine Corps Lance Corporal David Espinoza, whose mother said he was a great kid. We never had any trouble with him. Marine Corps Sergeant Nicole G. of Sacramento, California, whose husband is also a Marine. Marine Corps Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover of Salt Lake City, whose father wrote, You Are My Hero, about his son. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Noss of Corrington, Tennessee, whose um, wife, says they had a blissfully happy life together and his dying in the service to his country would have been to him the ultimate honor, she said. Marine Corps Corporal Hunter Lopez of California, who is the son of a husband and wife pair of Sheriff's Department uh, officers in Riverside County. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, who... um, was on her first deployment when she was killed. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Dylan Marola of California, the principal of the high school he attended, said there were many students who became interested in military service because they looked up to Dylan Marola. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Kareem Nakui of Norco, uh, California, uh, whose family says they take some comfort from knowing that he was helping rescue civilians before he died. Marine Corps Sergeant Johnny Picardo of Lawrence, Massachusetts. The mayor of Lawrence said that uh, um, it was like losing a child for the 
men and women of his city. Marine Corps Corporal Umberto Sanchez of Logansport, Indiana, who was paid tribute by the principal of his high school, saying that he had been a devoted art student and example to young people in his community. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz of St. Charles, Missouri, who told uh, everyone he knew from a very young age that he wanted to be a Marine and was laser-focused on getting in. His father says, now I'll never see him get married. I'll never see him provide me grandkids. Marine Corps Corporal Dagan Page of Omaha, Nebraska, one of the Marines who was killed and joined the Marines right out of high school and had been a Boy Scout and a hockey star and was a fan of the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL. And it's just important to remember them. And not just them, but to remember all the sons and daughters and husbands and brothers who served. Some came home, some did not. But all of that and all of the national unity that we had going into that conflict right after 9-11. And I think we all knew, at least I can only speak for myself, I think we all knew that it was, it was always possible that we would not be able to leave that place better than we found it. And not everyone agreed with even trying to do that. But I think we can agree that we should have left better than we did. And that how we left, and the lying and the politicizing and the covering up of how we left, is a real dishonor to these, to these men and women and to their families. It's not right. And it's not right that the people that made this decision are hoping you will forget about it. I hope they're wrong. The Philadelphia Public Schools announced on Friday that they will require masks for the first 10 days of the upcoming school year, which begins after Labor Day. After the 10 days, masking may become optional, according to KYW Radio. So, what what is that about? Like, what... Well, how does that make any sense? Ten days? Ten days to flatten the curve? Or just ten days for psychological value? And we talked about on Friday the really fascinating and weird announcement from the CDC that they very quietly, very subtly, have reversed themselves on COVID. I mean, I, I really want to be in the room. I want to understand how they came up with this. It pretty much said everyone can go back to normal. Don't worry about positive cases. You don't need to quarantine. You don't need to, to do anything differently. Um, we don't need mass testing. We don't need track and trace. And what about the unvaccinated? Remember how we demonized the unvaccinated for so long? We threw them out of their jobs. We threw them out of their schools. We told their fellow Americans to shun them. Quote, CDC's COVID-19 prevention recommendations no longer differentiate based on a person's vaccination status 
because breakthrough infections occur, though they are generally mild, and persons who have had COVID-19 but are not vaccinated have some degree of protection from their previous infection, unquote. That's, that's from the CDC statement. Well, that's exactly what the Great Barrington Declaration said. That's exactly what um, Dr. McCary said on this show a couple of dozen times over the last two years. They have essentially now said the stuff that when you and I said it, we were banned from Twitter or flagged or called, uh, you know, disinformation. Remember when we were keeping black New Yorkers out of restaurants and museums and bars and libraries because 40% of them were not vaccinated? We're not talking about that anymore, are we? And what about the places that still have mandates in place? Everything you've done, all the dehumanizing, shunning, segregating, treating people like they were unclean, throwing them out of work, ruining their lives, and maybe their families' lives if they were the provider for their family, all of that is now null and void in a statement that it wasn't even explained or presented by a live person. It was just issued electronically. And it was written in the kind of turgid prose you would expect for maybe like, you know, the instruction manual and putting together a bookcase. So what we've learned is they didn't know how to climb down from this. They didn't know what, you know, they had no, they had no exit strategy. So they just put out a statement one evening saying, never mind. And the question I have is, is anyone going to call them on the carpet? Is anyone going to hold them accountable? You know, it's the same thing with the Afghanistan withdrawal. Did anybody get fired? Did anybody resign in shame? Did any, did any senior officer say, you know what, I, I'm going to, I'm going to own this. I should have said something. I shouldn't have let it happen. These are my men and women. No. And Fauci is still doing victory laps and, and having his, you know, rolling out his slow motion retirement that will happen later in the decade. I mean, it is really, it is really bizarre. 210-599-5555. There's a video that's gone viral out of Shanghai, one of the largest cities in China. It's a bunch of people, they're in an Ikea store. And an announcement comes over the speakers that there's going to be a snap lockdown. That, that there is a child in the store who's COVID positive, asymptomatic, six years old. Asymptomatic six-year-old. And they're going to lock everybody in the store. And they're telling them, you, you, you can't leave. So people start running to the exits. They start crowding and, and trying to break through. It was, it was like the reverse of, you know, Black Friday sales where people are crashing into the store and climbing over each other to get into a store. These are people in an Ikea trying to get out because they're being told you'll be locked in all night. And many of them were. And you can hear the, the panic and the, the chaos. And this is what they're doing in China. They're doing these draconian snap lockdowns. The people that did not get out, according to one of the Chinese social media sites, had to stay past midnight. And then they were taken to quarantine facilities. They could not contact 
even immediate family members. They were just rounded up and uh, tucked away. And you might say, well, Jack, that's, you know, that's a totalitarian regime. That's China. Uh, news for you. <laughs> the, the instincts that maybe are everyday instincts in a place like communist China became the instincts of our elected and appointed overlords in this country. And it's sort of like what we were saying about the, the fatwa from the Iranians. We can't look down or judge other cultures if we're doing it. And we're doing it. I'm, I hate to say that. I hate that we're doing it. But we are. It's not too late to realize that. And this is not who, as the former president liked to say, this is not who we are. Let's not let it become who we are. And it's okay to say that. It's necessary to say it. They're going to tell you it's you're 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 not you're part of the problem. You're anti-American if you question. Well, uh, good. Then I'm questioning. You know, I have people say to me sometimes, "Aren't you worried? Uh, don't you ever worry?" Because um, you know you you work for a company. The company has a federal license. And so yeah, I, I'm aware of it. I'd be crazy if I didn't think about it. But what would be the point of doing this? And would you even listen to a show like this if somebody wasn't saying it, if I wasn't saying it, or the guy that comes after me, whoever he turns out to be, wasn't saying it? I mean, I I don't think there's really any choice, right? I've got this platform. I've got this opportunity. You and I are here. I'm going to say it. Writer Daniel Paniton says that the Catholic rosary has become an extremist symbol of radicalism. Rosary beads, he compares to the AR-15 rifle as, quote, a sacred object for Christian nationalists in general. The rosary has acquired a militaristic meaning for radical, traditional, or rad-trad Catholics. He explains in the piece entitled How the Rosary Became an Extremist Symbol. On this extremist fringe, he writes, rosary beads have been woven into a conspiratorial politics and absolutist gun culture. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up a notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned it into something dangerously literal. And he goes on and on with this imagery that um, I think the, the nicest best way I could understand this this man and his writing is I, I I meet people like this I don't know if he ever was Catholic but you you will never find more hatred of Catholicism than from people that were Catholic right I mean your Protestant friends your Jewish friends your Muslim friends they they could never hate Catholicism like people that were raised in the church and then fell away from it or had a bad experience with it or decided it was it was phony um that they, they can't walk away without throwing things over their shoulder and i i feel for him and i feel for anyone who was hurt by their experience with or their exposure to the catholic church that's the nicest interpretation i can put on this but i've also noticed that people are making a religion out of hating religion people are making a religion out of the denunciation of religion. 
And it kind of goes to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago with Gabriel Nadalis. This tendency to have an, a, an explanation for everything and connect everything and demand that people agree with you on everything or else they're completely outside your circle and they're, they're dead to you. Th- these are the worst trappings of organized religion, right? These are the things that, that, that are not good about belonging to a church. And these are the things that should not happen in a faith community. But I think their, their religion is, is hating yours. There seems to be a belief that any kind of dissent or dis- I mean, people praying the rosary, what could be more passive than people praying a string of Hail Marys? Even if they're praying for the election or they're praying for, um, uh, you know, some sort of civic outcome or they're praying for peace, or they're praying for justice. Somehow that is now, any kind of dissent or behavior with which they disagree or don't share is now equivalent to violent insurrection. So the rosary is like an AR-15. Would you be as concerned about somebody running toward you with a rosary as you would be with somebody running toward you pointing an AR-15 at you? To this guy, you would. And we've done this, right? If people objected to the vaccine mandates, first we called them deniers, then we called them Nazis, because everyone's a Nazi, and if everyone's a Nazi, then I guess no one is. And then we turned it into a, well, it's a, it's a network of insurrectionists, and they're all secretly whispering and meeting. By the way, I haven't seen you at the meetings lately. Where have you been? So we're told now that people that are angry at the, about the Mar-a-Lago raid are going to commit terrorist actions against the government. The FBI is saying they're worried that people that disagree with the Mar-a-Lago raid are going to detonate dirty bombs. We're going from A to Z at a blinding speed and without any logic. No one's even stopping and saying, well, well wait a minute, where, where are you, how are you getting there? What's the connection? The rosary? So, there you go. Uh, Paniton writes, Catholics are a growing contingent of Christian nationalism. Hmm. I, um, I, I'm a Catholic. You probably know that if you listen to this show. I, I'm laughing a little bit because it's actually hilarious to me that you would think the Catholic Church was the, the point of the spear of right-wing nationalism. Have, have you been in a Catholic Church lately? My priest is a liberal. <laughs> I mean, these guys are, these guys are, are far-left social welfare liberals. Have you checked out the, the current Pope? So it's, it, to me, it, this is almost a little bit clown car. Territory, but but it's also very pernicious. It's very it's very um, you know everyone's against us. Everyone who disagrees with us is against us, and they don't just disagree with us; they're violent, they're extremist. 
Is it okay to disagree with you without you fearing me? I guess that's a rhetorical question. Anyway, the other guy that's kind of involved in our show, you hear Christian on the news, you hear me, but Don Cooper, our producer, is is like our silent partner. But Don and I were talking before the uh, the show about the Anne Hache story. She, they are uh, announcing today that they've closed the criminal probe of her crash and they've uh, donated her organs. And I guess as I understood it, Don, they kept her alive mm-hmm. or kept her heart beating, I should say, yeah. to donate the organs. Yeah, apparently, because they were different stories that were coming down, and apparently she was pronounced dead when she uh, lost oxygen to her brain, but right. they kept her on life support, which right. obviously kept her heart beating to uh, make sure that the organs are stayed safe because right. of, of that reason. And uh, you and I were talking off air earlier, and I... With with the announcement of all of this, now apparently they have announced her officially uh, dead as of yesterday when they took her off life support. And it made me think a little bit, uh, being a Christian, because I'm a, of the Christian type, I was thinking about when the soul actually leaves your body. And I was kind of questioning if the heart is still beating. I, this, I brought this up to you earlier. If the heart is still beating, then does that actually mean that she is still alive when you're thinking of it in the Christian way because her heart basically is giving her support as far as her life is concerned because it's it's keeping her her organs vital and I was just kind of questioning uh, yeah. when when you're af- yeah. officially you know when your soul officially leaves your body even though your heart is still beating so how can you be actually officially or legally dead that, that was well, the question that I Yeah, pondered. no, it's very, it is, it's, because you think of death as something that only happens once. You know, you die. You don't think, well, there's there's this death, and then there's that, there's clinical death, which is when they look at you and say, you know, he's gone. And then there's legal death, or legally dead, where they go through a series of findings and sort of check off the boxes. But then I was asking you in return, because it's a good question, if you're being, if your heart is being kept in action, mm-hmm. you know, artificially, because in other words, her heart would have stopped, but for what they were doing to keep it beating. Yes, and they were only doing that to have time to get the organs. Um, is that? I mean, are you are you are you still alive mm-hmm. if your heart wouldn't beat on its own? Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's uh, there are many people that are living their lives. Uh, unaware of their surroundings and and uh, right. you know they're they're having to be taken care of and and there's there's someone you know a caretaker is actually feeding them and so on and so forth because they're they're dead uh, not their dead uh, their brain is not necessarily responding in the to their physical body but they're right. still alive because their vital organs are still alive such as the heart and i was kind of wondering if this is kind of similar to that because she was actually pronounced brain dead but she, mm-hmm. her body was still alive because uh it was on life support it's a little scary that we don't have a a a, a, um, a bright line that we would all recognize and go okay well, this is if you're over this line your life has ended you're de- you're dead it's a little scary that we have like clinical death and legal death and uh you know uh if we do this and we do this the heart will keep beating but there's no brain function um 
people talk about personhood, you're no longer a person, you're just a system that's being operated by equipment. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. We, we, and I, and then I was wondering, and I, I have friends who are in the um, organ and tissue, uh, you know, the, the, the recovery of organs and tissues, they go in and they do this, they're called in, because it's not, it's not the, the, the regular hospital staff that, that takes care of you and tries to save your life. When you're, when you're declared dead and they donate the organs, it's an entirely different team of people because the procedures are different and the protocols are different. But one of the things we were talking about was Anne Hesch was in this, this very dramatic and I'm sure traumatic car accident, right? So she was in a car that went into a house. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, she may have been using drugs or alcohol before the crash. Yes. So you wonder, are, is that, are those organs affected by that? Is yep. that something that you would, you know, is that, is that the best organ to get transplanted sure. into you? Especially. And I suppose when people are waiting, they're not going to, they're not going to say, well, I, I don't want that one. I'll take the next one. You know, people are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were, you brought that up the other day. We we're kind of wondering, you know, spe- especially like uh, a particular organ like, your kidneys i mean you know you know right from right. from uh uh and i don't mean to offend anyone but by you know maybe someone who has been an extreme alcoholic throughout their lives right. would you want that yeah. person's no kidneys no seemingly not but anyway no, but it was um, that's it was kind of a deep subject i brought it, up but it, I, no, I didn't, it was, you know, it was and, a good and i'm glad you, i'm glad you brought it up and it, it is a good question and um and i've often wondered about s- that because of the because of the Christian aspect of it, you know, does your that, but when, also just, when does your we, soul actually leave your body? We kind of we we need like a humanity answer too, because we we're we're going to increasingly what's what used to be a line between life and death is becoming like a zone. You know, it's mm-hmm. becoming like a big gray area where you're neither one nor the other, and then the question becomes who's judging that? Who's who's making the rules? For yes, that? yes. And I don't want to be in the zone and have a chance of coming back to the life side of things, but have some bureaucrat or administrator going, no, he's, he, he's too far gone. And that's, by the way, one of the, you know, big objections to, uh, nationalizing healthcare. You know, in Canada, they're having this debate right now about euthanasia because it inevitably follows that once the government is parsing out healthcare, it starts making efficiency decisions and efficacy decisions about who's worth working on and uh, it's it's scary stuff yeah um, I mean, so so much has become politicized it's, it, right. it it was like the topic you mentioned a moment ago about uh, the controversy uh on uh, rosary beads right and and how you know uh, politics is even affecting christianity and all of this leads me back to our poll question because <laughs> i know that'll seem like a stretch but but this is why and people are surprised when I say this. In fact, I've, had, I've seen the look of disappointment in people's faces when I say this. Um, I, I am a fan of uh, Comedy Central's South Park. I, I, I will admit it. It is profane. It is, it is disgusting. It is disrespectful. It is offensive. And all of that makes it essential because we have to be able to... to to look at stuff the way these two guys, these these two young men, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, created this show, and it's now 25 years old. They created a show about a fictional town in Colorado, although it's more fact than you would think because these two guys grew up in 
Colorado, and they weave in a lot of, from interviews I've read, they weave in a lot of um, places and references and so forth. So it's the story of these these kids, um, but they're really like little miniature adults, right? Uh, Stan and Kyle and Kenny and Cartman, of course, and um, and all these crazy things that that happen around them and in this town. And and it's again, if you've if you've seen it, and right now you're shaking your head like I can't believe he's talking about this. I, I'm with you. I mean, there's stuff. There's been stuff on this show that was nauseating and inappropriate and and gross, but it, they they do often point out the folly or the the uh, foibles of of things we think we're sure of, and they take on everything. They've taken on every major religion. They've taken on pop culture. They've taken on people that are widely admired and looked up to. They've made fun of things on the left and things on the right. Um, it would be hard to say that it's a left or right, <coughs> excuse me, show. Um, maybe it's libertarian, kind of, a little bit. Get the feeling that maybe if Anne Rand was around today, this might be what she was doing instead of writing novels. I don't know, but uh, and and it's I don't know that you could make this show as a new show now. If you said today. You went to a meeting today and you said, well, my idea is there's going to be these little nine-year-old, eight- and nine-year-old uh, kids, and one of them is going to die in every episode violently, but then be back in the next episode with no explanation. They're going to encounter every kind of experience, including many we would never want children to be involved in. Um, and we're going to mock and ridicule, but also maybe make people think. I mean, you, you wouldn't get approved. They wouldn't make it. But um, it does that. And um, I, I think back to so many of the different, um, you know, episodes and how you're laughing, but you're also thinking, or maybe afterwards you're thinking. You're laughing at the time, but then later you're, you're thinking about the point they made. They took on uh, Kanye West one time, and it really, it really exposed how, uh, you know, quickly we try to be politically correct um, they did a thing one time. Well, they did a lot about organized religion, and I think a lot of people believe that they're profane in that way, but really what they're doing is they're saying it, there's a difference between faith and organizing. Faith is supernatural. Organizing is human. It's the organizing that we get wrong. Uh, the faith is not what we get wrong. Um, they even did an episode where they made fun of the fact that they were hard, it was hard for them to come up with ideas that the Simpsons had not, not already done. So they, actually, they complained about their competitor that every time they had an idea, which I guess is true, they find out that there's already been a Simpsons episode about it. Mrs. Carbon, we have had it with your son's behavior. Hmm? I'm sorry I handcuffed Billy Turner's ankle to the school flagpole. That's very naughty, Eric. Well, he called me chubby. I know. I know he's out of control. But you don't know what it's like. <laughs> well, nice going, Ash. Made my mom cry. It's you, Eric. I don't know what to do with you. So wrong, and yet so right, so often. 25 years of South Park on Comedy Central. Uh, that's our poll question, and we'll have results right before 7 o'clock. 210 599 5555 Ben is on KTSA. Hi Ben. Hey Jack, how you doing, bud? 
Good. How are you? Uh, um, well, I'm off work at home, but I was just listening to you on the way home, and I love the show. It's great. It's hilarious. But I, I think of, uh, I think it was Stephen Fry. He said, oh, so you're offended, you know, and he said, like, who effing cares? You know, it doesn't matter. People that get offended think they have some kind of right or they, now that they've offended, they can say, you're offended, you're offended. Oh, well, you know, it's, that's it. It's just like, it's a one-way street. You're offended, and that is it. Mm-hmm. You don't like the show? Don't watch it. <laughs> I, that's what I think is incredible. How have they, how have they stayed on? Everything around because, us is getting canceled. How have they hung in there? No, people love truth in comedy, especially in comedy. That's why I mean, that's why you go to comedy shows to, to right. laugh at yourself, to laugh at what is obvious, to laugh at what you know. Right. And if like those hecklers, and I, I don't understand those people. If if you're not going to go to enjoy the show and listen to what they say, and you go in there to interrupt and be disruptive, why go? You're you're just making an you're making you an idiot out of yourself. You oh, know? I can tell you, but I can tell you why because that to to us they, they look miserable. Heard. No, to us they look miserable, but they're having a great time. Disrupting your comedy show is is their entertainment. Man, that nobody else is entertained by it. About yeah, I mean, I've seen plenty. You know, it's plenty of little spoofs where people try and heckle the guy and the comedian or or the female comedian. She just or he yeah. just tears them up. You know, and, well, it's and not smart to heckle somebody who's yeah who's quick on their feet. That's that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> but. What, do you have a favorite episode? Can you think of like one episode that stands out for you? Um, and and it's funny because it's nothing really political because I, I I can't stand Biden and blah blah blah. But I like Mr. Hanky. I thought Mr. Hanky was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, who who would have come up with that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ben, thank you. Um, I'll tell you what I think the secret is. If there's a secret, and this is for what it's worth. Unlike, say, Saturday Night Live or Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, where the humor only goes one way, it's only aimed at one side, these guys, the the turret keeps spinning. So one episode is mocking what you agree with or the, the guy you voted for. or the, And then a week later, they're mocking that, you know, actor or actress who you can't stand. So... From week to week, you get the feeling that anything is fair game. And I, I think that that is that would work for a late-night show, for a sketch comedy show like Saturday Night Live. I mean, I, that to me is so obvious, I don't know how they're missing it. They did one, um, I forget, that, don't ask me, like, names of the episodes. I don't remember that or which season it was. I'm not that... I'm not that good, but they did an episode where they made fun of um, electric cars or hybrid cars, and instead of battling smog, they were battling smug because that's how people were when those cars first came out. They did an episode where instead of legal uh, marijuana, there was going to be they, they were envisioning a point where where fast food would be outlawed. And then they were bringing it back as medicinal fried chicken. And uh, I think Cartman was was dealing like fried chicken in a back alley or something. I mean, it was just, it's just, it's crazy and it's lunatic and it's, you know, politi- but it's politically incorrect in all directions. And everybody's going to get their turn. Everybody's, gonna- And that was when Saturday Night Live was the classic TV show of its kind. 
that was the way it was. You know, Democrats, Republicans, the right, the left, they all got their turn. And I just think it's less funny when you always know which direction the joke is going to go in or who they're going to circle the wagons for. And and nobody should be safe. That's that's what we love about the comedy of a, of a Dave Chappelle. No one is safe from being observed or scrutinized. And comedians do that. They notice us. You know, they sit around and they study us. And they go, did you know that you do this? Or did you ever see the blind spot in what you think or believe? Or Anyway, may they go 25 more years. We need them. We need them now more than ever. This is a true story, and I, I think it's hilarious. So cannabis is legal in Washington State, but you have to have a license. Like you have to have a liquor license to sell booze. you got to have a cannabis license from the state. They've decided in Washington State to, to favor or, or um, give uh, preferential treatment to people who have been convicted of drug crimes when they apply for the license. So in other words, if, if I went up for a license to sell cannabis to have a dispensary, and you went up for one, and you had a drug conviction, they would give it to you first. And their reasoning is, we want to make up for or um, create equity because back when these things were illegal, uh, you were disadvantaged. The war on drugs was disproportionate. It was it hurt you. It was disproportionate to certain communities. And so because of the stigma or the economic damage that we visited on people in years gone by, we're going to give them preferential treatment to get the cannabis license. And all I could think of, I don't use this stuff and I'm not interested in it, but all I could think of was, do you want your drug dealer to be a drug dealer? I guess you would, right? I mean, I ask the man who drives one, right? So that's what they're going to do in Washington State. You know, so when I asked Ben, favorite episode, he, he went right to Mr. Hankey, the Christmas poo. You know that. You know that. You know, you know that's coming. But there were so many good ones. Uh, the, and, and they are, they can be vicious. Now, um, Isaac Hayes was the voice of Chef on South Park. And then he broke up with the show, and, and there were different rumors about why that was, that they, they had creative differences. Uh, money differences, contract differences, but also they had been mocking Scientology, and he was a Scientologist. And so they did an episode where they brought his character back. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, they used previously recorded bits and pieces of his voice and put that character through unbelievable hell. I mean, humiliation and torture, and it's just <laughs> absolute because he had, you know, because he had left. So, anyway, 25 years, we'll find out how you voted in the JR poll about South Park. I know a lot of people don't like it, and I, I understand that. All right, so this is a little strange. I want to play this for you because it reminds me a little bit of the way Joe Biden 
became president. Remember we talked about the sort of the, you know, Biden in the basement strategy, the idea that what really worked best for Joe Biden in 2020, however many votes you think he got or legitimately got, what worked best for Joe Biden was voters not seeing or hearing Joe Biden. The Joe Biden that we're seeing in the presidency is clearly not someone who would have wowed them on the campaign trail. A similar scenario is playing out in one of the key Senate races in these midterms. You know, the the Senate is is really up for grabs. Most people think the math favors the Republican takeover of the House, but according to 538.com, it's possible that the Senate will be even more Democratic than it is now, or slightly Republican, but no one really is sure, and there's several states that could swing the, the Senate one way or the other. Well, Pennsylvania is one of them. And in Pennsylvania, it's an open seat, uh, and the battle is between Dr. Oz on the Republican side and a guy named John Fetterman on the Democratic side. Fetterman is the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, but he hasn't been seen in quite a while. In fact, he didn't even uh, come out on the night that he won the primary because he had suffered a stroke. The campaign kept telling people that he was taking it easy and, you know, resting up and making a good recovery, working with a speech therapist. Well, they um, had him at a rally this weekend. They announced he's coming back onto the campaign trail. I want to play you what he sounded like at that rally. But first, let's go back and listen to John Fetterman, the way he sounded before the stroke. Take a listen to this. We have to remember that inflation is a tax on working families. And as Democrats, we are the party of working families. So we must uh, aggressively attack uh, inflation. How I would offset that is I would just make sure I would insist that multi-billion dollar corporations that currently aren't paying any taxes whatsoever pay their fair share. And we're going to need a candidate that has always embraced a 67 county strategy, a candidate that has built an unparalleled okay. grassroots. So that's John Fetterman when he was debating uh, amongst other Democrats who were seeking the nomination. As I mentioned this spring, he got the nomination in Pennsylvania. He suffered a stroke. And um, this is what has alarmed his supporters about the way he sounds now. Take a listen. And you can count on us to eliminate the filibuster if you come out and step with us. We will be able to stand with you in D.C. I gave away the lieutenant governor governor in Pennsylvania, the only lieutenant governor in the history to do that. And let's, let's get some stuff done for America. Who would ever think that I would be the normal the normal one in the race here? You know, with that. So, first of all, I wish nothing but the best for him. He's a human being. I, I, I hope he makes a full recovery. It's, it's considering how strokes often wind up, um, it's, it's pretty good that he's even to this point. But the question is, when you hear him, has he recovered enough to handle the fall campaign and six years in a physically and mentally demanding job. And so, as people are hearing him for the first time in months, they're wondering if he's up to it. And it reminds me of the Biden strategy. If you can keep a candidate 
away from the voters. Joe Biden showed that you can win the highest office in the land. If you can win the presidency that way, why not run for other offices that way? Why not run people? And I don't mean people with a health issue necessarily, although you could certainly conceal that, but why not say, well, my candidate is not good at explaining his or her positions, is not quick on their feet, is not well-versed in the issues, so we're just going to present a version of them, uh, an explanation of them, a facade of them, and not actually expose them to the voters. No one is rooting against John Fetterman to make a recovery. I'm not rooting against that at all. Um, but it's it's noticeable and alarming uh, to hear the difference. And it's not surprising that they would be trying this when it worked so well for somebody else just a couple of short years ago. By the way, um, there's new uh, Dallas Morning News uh, UT polling on the governor's race for all the talk about Beto going all in on gun control, calling a supporter a mother effer for laughing at him, getting all the George Soros cash. The poll numbers are literally exactly the same as they were before, which is not to say that uh, Abbott is out of the woods. That This poll shows a 46 to 39 race. Uh, that's a terrible number. 46% is a terrible number for a Republican governor of Texas. Even if you believe Texas is purpling or changing, that is ridiculous. But it also shows that there probably is a ceiling for Beto O'Rourke, and he's probably there. So we'll see. Uh, but that's what, that, that's what the numbers show in any event. Oh, and um, have you heard about Free the Nipple? <laughs> what? Yeah, there was a big protest on a beach in England. They do this every year. It's an annual event called Free the Nipple. Topless women and some men, because wherever there are topless women, there will be some men, um, were uh, marching and carrying signs and painting their bodies with signs. Uh, they're, they're agitating or they're fighting for women's rights to be topless in public like men are. You know, men can go to the beach, they can go to the pool, they can walk around on a hot day with no shirt. No one says, hey, your nipples are showing. Women believe they should be able to do the same. Free the nipple is a movement protesting the double standard of nipple shaming, says one supporter. So um, the signs included, free the nipple, isn't it wild, there are legal nipples and illegal nipples, my body, my choice, Uh, one woman painted on her torso, mine sustain life, why do they offend you? Many women painted their nipples, and there were men in in support of the women, (laughs) or so they said. I, I got to say, um, if it was up to me, and it's not, I would um, I would make the rule not men can show theirs and women can't show theirs because there are guys that you don't want to, you know what I'm saying, right? It should be whether you're good looking. That should be the standard. If you're really good looking, and you want to show them, I guess show them. If you're not, we don't want to see them. 
I don't care which gender you are. By the way, I was a little confused by this <laughs> protest because I didn't know that we were again recognizing that women were separate. I, we keep going back and forth, right? For some things, there's no difference, and then for other things, there's a difference, and now we're saying women's nipples are different than men's, but if men can be pregnant and have babies, then aren't you really saying there isn't any difference? And we, we talk about chest feeding and the idea that breastfeeding is not exclusively the province of women, so it, it's very confusing. But I would go with the good-looking people get to show theirs rule. What would you say? We'll get the results <laughs> and, on the poll. And by the way, send all email to Jack Riccardi. Don't send them my That's way. Right. <laughs> That's right. If you're, if you're upset with this show, uh, write to Trey Ware at KTSA.com. question was, in honor of their 25th anniversary, are you a South Park fan? 78% said no. 22% said yes. That's pretty good, actually. Um, and uh, thanks to everybody that voted across all of our platforms. We'll have a new question uh, starting at 4 tomorrow or anytime at KTSA.com for the JR poll. Here is South Park touching the third rail of the electric car. Hey there, Richard. Oh, hey, Gerald. New car? Yeah, it's a hybrid. I just... I just couldn't sit back and be a part of destroying the Earth anymore. Well, good for you. Oh, thanks! Well, there goes the new high and mighty Gerald Broflowski. Yeah, ever since he got that new hybrid, he thinks he's better than everyone else. You know, the emissions from a vehicle like yours causes irreparable damage to the ozone. I drive a hybrid, it's much better for the environment. Thanks. Dad, can we go home? All you ever do since you got this car is drive around and show it off. Hey, is that a hybrid? Oh, yes, you've got one too, I see. Yeah, I like to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. Well, anyway, good for you. Thanks. <laughs> Dad, I think I is starving to death. Hold on, boys. We still have to go to the hardware store and hand out awareness citations to SUV cars in the parking lot. <laughs> All right. It's not for everyone, but it'll open your eyes to a few things. Um, you know, there was a uh, kind of a sad story. I don't know if you saw this or not. The, the legendary uh, quarterback, Lynn Dawson, uh, is on hospice or is in hospice. They announced over the weekend he is 87. Um, and uh, people were remembering his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. And remember, the Kansas City Chiefs were the Dallas Texans who moved to Kansas City. But anyway, um, there is a famous photo. Don, you've probably seen this, right? One of the most famous sports photos probably ever taken is of Lynn Dawson on the sidelines, you know, uh, sitting on the sidelines as a quarterback, smoking a cigarette during a game. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine now? You won't see that now. Imagine you're fun. watching an NFL game now and, like, Tom Brady just rips one out. I mean, we'd have to have a national conversation for a week. So I don't even want to know what Dr. Fauci would say. So anyway, um, we are thinking of his family and 
Uh, obviously, the end near for Lynn Dawson. Um, are you a Spider-Man fan at all? You like the Spider-Man movies? Uh, actor Tom Holland is in the news. Uh, he's announcing that he is taking a break from social media. He says he's doing it for his mental health because he finds Instagram and Twitter to be overwhelming. He says he gets caught up and spirals. Little Spider-Man reference. Spirals. Yeah. So I guess he's uh, getting away from the World Wide Web. <clears throat> um, but isn't it interesting that you're Spider-Man, right? You've got Spidey powers. You can do all those things. I mean, Spider-Man's practically indestructible, right? But Instagram brought him down. I'm kind of, I'm kind of mocking. I like Tom Holland. I'm not. I don't mean to pick on him. I'm kind of, I'm kind of having a little fun. But in, in fairness, um, when these celebrities say they're taking a break, they're taking a hiatus from uh, social media. This might be one time, and there aren't many. You're not going to hear me say this very often. But this might be one time when we actually should follow their lead. Like I can't because of what I do. But if you can. You should take a break. I don't mean you personally. I just mean people should. It's a good idea. You don't need to be slugging away every day about whatever it is you're fighting with other people about or trying to prove or whatever. So good for him. And we hope that he uh, feels better and more spidey when he's when he's done. Back here tomorrow at 4 or find our show anytime on demand. Jack Riccardi, page, KTSA.com.